Chapter Nine of the Spirit of the Border by Zane Gray. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leonard Wilson. Chapter Nine. Joe went to bed that night with a promise to himself to rise early next morning, for he had been invited to take part in a raising, which term meant that a new cabin was to be erected, and such task was ever an event in the lives of the settlers. The following morning Joe rose early, dressing himself in a complete buckskin suit, for which he had exchanged his good garments of cloth. Never before had he felt so comfortable. He wanted to hop, skip, and jump. The soft, undressed buckskin was as warm and smooth as silk plush. The weight so light, the moccasins so well-fitting and springy, that he had to put himself under considerable restraint to keep from capering about like a frolicsome colt. The possession of this buckskin outfit, and the rifle and accoutrements which went with the bargain, marked the last stage in Joe's surrender to the border fever. The silent, shaded glens, the mystery of the woods, the breath of this wild, free life claimed him from this moment entirely and forever. He met the others, however, with a serene face showing no trace of the emotion which welled up strongly from his heart. Nell glanced shyly at him. Kate playfully voiced her admiration. Jim met him with a brotherly ridicule, which bespoke his affection as well as his amusement. But Colonel Zane, having once yielded to the same burning, riotous craving for freedom which now stirred in the boy's heart, understood, and felt warmly drawn toward the lad. He said nothing, though as he watched Joe his eyes were grave and kind. In his long frontier life, where many a day measured the life and fire of ordinary years, he had seen lad after lad go down before this forest fever. It was well, he thought, because the freedom of the soil depended on these wild, light-footed boys. Yet it always made him sad. How many youths, his brother among them, lay under the fragrant pine-needle carpet of the forest in their last earthly sleep. The raising brought out all the settlement, the women to look on and gossip while the children played, the men to bend their backs in the moving of the heavy timbers. They celebrated the erection of a new cabin as a noteworthy event. As a social function, it had a prominent place in the settler's short list of pleasures. Joe watched the proceedings with the same pleasure and surprise he had felt in everything pertaining to border life. To him this log-raising appeared the hardest kind of labor, yet it was plain these hardy men, these low-voiced women, and merry children, regarded the work as something far more significant than the mere building of a cabin. After a while he understood the meaning of the scene. A kindred spirit, the spirit of the pioneer, drew them all into one large family. This was another cabin, another home, another advance toward the conquering of the wilderness, for which these brave men and women were giving their lives. In the bright-eyed children's glee, when they clapped their little hands at the mounting logs, Joe saw the progress, the march of civilization. "'Well, I'm sorry you're to leave us tonight,' remarked Colonel Zane to Joe, as the young man came over to where he, his wife, and sister watched the work. Jonathan said, 
all was ready for your departure at sundown do we travel by night indeed yes my lad there are indians everywhere on the river i think however with jack and lou handling the paddles you will slip by safely the plan is to keep along the south shore all night then cross over at a place called gertie's point where you are to remain in hiding during daylight from there you paddle up yellow creek then portage across country to the head of the tuscarawas another night's journey will then bring you to the village of peace jim and mr wells with his nieces joined the party now and all stood watching as the last logs were put in place colonel zane my first log raising is an education to me said the young minister in his earnest manner this scene is so full of life i never saw such good will among laboring men look at that brawny armed giant standing on the topmost log how he whistles as he swings his axe mr wells does it not impress you the pioneers must be brothers because of their isolation and peril to be brothers means to love one another to love one another is to love god what you see in this fraternity is god and i want to see the same beautiful feeling among the indians i have seen it said colonel zane to the old missionary when i came out here alone twelve years ago the indians were peaceable if the pioneers had paid for land as i paid corn planter there would never have been a border war but no the settlers must grasp every acre they could then the indians rebelled then the girties and their allies spread discontent and now the border is a bloody warpath have the jesuit missionaries accomplished anything with these war tribes inquired jim no their work has been chiefly among the indians near detroit and northward the hurons delawares shawnees and other western tribes have been demoralized by the french traders rum and incited to fierce hatred by gertie and his renegades your work at nodenhutten must be among these hostile tribes and it is surely a hazardous undertaking my life is god's murmured the old minister no fear could assail his steadfast faith jim it strikes me you'd be more likely to impress these indians colonel jane spoke of if you'd get a suit like mine and wear a knife and tomahawk interposed joe cheerfully then if you couldn't convert you could scalp him well well let us hope for the best said colonel zane when the laughter had subsided we'll go over to dinner now come all of you jonathan bring wetzel betty make him come if you can as the party slowly wended its way toward the colonel's cabin jim and nell found themselves side by side they had not exchanged a word since the evening previous when jim had kissed her unable to look at each other now and finding speech difficult they walked in embarrassed silence doesn't joe look splendid in his hunting suit asked jim presently i hadn't noticed yes he looks well replied nell carelessly she was too indifferent to be natural are you angry with him certainly not jim was always simple and frank in his relations with women he had none of his brother's fluency of speech with neither confidence boldness nor understanding of the intricate mazes of a woman's moods but you are angry with me he whispered 
Nell flushed to her temples, yet she did not raise her eyes nor reply. It was a terrible thing for me to do, went on Jim, hesitatingly. I don't know why I took advantage of of your mistaking me for Joe. If you only hadn't held up your mouth. No, I don't mean that. Of course you didn't. But, well, I couldn't help it. I'm guilty. I have thought of little else. Some wonderful feeling has possessed me ever since, since. What has Joe been saying about me? demanded Nell her eyes burning like opals. "'Why, hardly anything,' answered Jim haltingly. "'I took him to task about—about about what I considered might be wrong to you. Joe has never been very careful of young ladies' feelings, and I thought—well, it was none of my business. He said he honestly cared for you, that you had taught him how unworthy he was of a good woman. But he's wrong there. Joe is wild and reckless.' Yet his heart is a well of gold. He is a diamond in the rough. Just now he is possessed by wild notions of hunting Indians and roaming through the forest. But he'll come round all right. I wish I could tell you how much he has done for me, how much I love him, how I know him. He can be made worthy of any woman. He will outgrow this fiery, daring spirit, and then... Won't you help him? I will, if he will let me, softly whispered Nell, irresistibly drawn by the strong, earnest love thrilling in his voice. End of chapter 9 of The Spirit of the Border by Zane Gray Recording by Leonard Wilson of Springfield, Ohio